This episode was recorded in 2022. Welcome to Returnity. I'm Letty Gordon-Furs, founder of The Springback Guide. Every week, we'll be diving into the pressing need for better support on women's back-to-work journeys after maternity leave. You'll hear real-life stories from working mums where motherhood has transformed their careers and get an inside look at the industry leaders at the forefront of innovating in this space. Ready? Let's go. Welcome, Louise. Hello. Thanks for having me. So tell me, where are you in the world right now? And other than my lovely face, what can you see in front of you? I can see a tree. I'm currently sitting in my spare room, but it's a garage and it's my space, which is nice. This is like my place where I can do podcasts and work and try new makeup and make silly videos. And this is my space and I love it. It's all mine. I love it. And tell me, so who is in your immediate family unit? Well, my husband, his name is Jesse, and then I have three children. I have Basil, who is nine, which I can't believe. Sunny, who is five, and Inka, who is, well, she'll be two in August. Mm. So whatever months that is, I don't know. (laughs) Were you very happy that the third ended up being a girl? Yeah, I was. Um, (laughs) But we didn't have a third for that reason. I think lots of people thought that because we obviously had two boys, but we just wanted three children. And my husband's one of three boys. So we just assumed that it it would be a boy. So when it was a girl, obviously we're like, oh, wow. And then we're like, we have no idea what we're doing with a girl. It's a different kettle of fish. But yeah, obviously just, just grateful that the, you know, baby's healthy I think that's the main thing really of course and you talked about funny videos I mean you have such a following and I'm not really surprised because I laugh out loud every single time so if you had to describe what you do now for a living how would you describe it (laughs) (laughs) make a fool of myself (laughs) I do you know it's weird how this came about really I have been a model for the last 25 years and that was my main source of income and that was my work and then obviously the pandemic hit and it all stopped and I literally went from working to having absolutely nothing And I started making these funny videos as a sign for me to kind of have a bit of joy because at the time I was feeling quite anxious about COVID and what the future held financially. And my husband lost his job during the pandemic, so we could have been really panicked by it all. And so I decided to just turn to laughter and kind of change the content that I do on my Instagram page. I guess before the pandemic, it was very much my life as a working model and then being a mum but a lot of it wasn't video and then I just started doing funny videos as a way to kind of make myself feel better and I kind of thought if I can make other people laugh then maybe it will make people feel better about the whole situation that we were in and I was quite nervous putting it out on Instagram because it's not my usual content and you kind of think well what you know people are gonna be like what the hell is this it turns out people like to laugh and also it's just normal everyday really boring things that we do as mothers or wives or generally that we can relate to and laugh at it so my job went from being a model and I still am a model but because of all these videos I then kind of turned into this content creator <laughs> which is cool actually so it means I get to shoot videos at home for certain brands and I really enjoy it actually it's, it's cool. 
you see a number on your Instagram page and you're like, I know that's a lot of people, but is it actually, are they actually real people? Are they real and people, then, yeah. And then I've realised you have to be a bit more careful. You know, there are certain things that if I put out like anything political or whatever, it's like you'll, you'll get quite a lot of backlash and you're like, oh God. But generally it's been really great and I'm really grateful for everyone that's followed me and shared and liked and commented. It means a lot because at the time I didn't really know what the hell I was doing and just kind of threw myself into making videos, which is completely not what I went on Instagram to do in the first place. It's mad, isn't it? Because I think with reels and things, Instagram as a space is just completely changed because I think previously it's all about capturing that moment in time and then it's just sort of evolved from Instagram trying to slightly rip off TikTok and make things funnier. I think reels have just really changed the space. Oh, yeah. And provided uh, a completely different opportunity. Yeah, well, I mean, I downloaded TikTok, I think it must have been March 2020, when I was feeling really anxious about coronavirus and schools were shutting for the first time. I needed to laugh. So I downloaded TikTok and I was belly laughing. And I think Instagram realised, actually, this is a social media platform that loads of people were downloading immediately. And I got to a point where I was on TikTok more than I was on Instagram because TikTok made me laugh. And I kind of felt like I could be a bit more silly and be a bit more me. And at the time, I felt like Instagram, as much as I do love Instagram, but it felt at the time that it was a bit more, life had to be perfect. And turns out that my life isn't perfect. And I didn't want to portray that message because for me, it's not true. So I was really grateful when Instagram started doing reels because it just meant that I could put my videos on Instagram and I already had following there anyway. So now I'm belly laughing on Instagram and TikTok. So it's nice, actually. And there's changes all the time in social media. Mm, there are. And I'm always really curious to see what's going to pop out next, like what different features or there'll be another app that everyone's oh, really something into else, yeah. or something. I'm fascinated. But yeah. I'll just explain how we know each other or rather, again, don't know each other. Basically, I put a post out to my own followers saying, who would you really, really like me to interview who would have a really interesting back to work story? And a couple of people said, Louise Boyce and I was like I don't I, don't know. Oh, I haven't heard really of Louise nice. I don't know who this is and then clicked on your profile and was like oh my god this woman is hilarious and then I messaged one of the girls and said can you tell me a bit more about why you would want to hear her speak and she said well she just did a lot of campaigning against things like fake bumps in the modeling world and I thought that was fascinating so I'd love to just hear more about modeling life before children and what happened when you then had children well thank you first of all for, and thank you to your followers for choosing me hello <laughs> thank you so I started modeling in the 90s I think it was 1995 when heroin chic was the look and it was all about Kate Moss and your figure had to be quite like an eight-year-old boy which wasn't me at all and even at the age of 15, you could see that I was going to have curves. And at the time when I joined my agency, I was told, like many other girls, to lose weight. Back in the 90s, there wasn't, you know, there's so much diversity now within the, the modelling industry, which is fantastic. And it's something that I'm really pleased that I've seen evolve. But back then, if you didn't have a 34-inch hip, you were told to go home and lose the weight and you were given a time scale to do it. And I was told to lose, I think it was about a stone in two weeks. They would literally just say, you need to go and lose weight. This is yeah. how many pounds. Yeah. Oh. Come back when you've lost it. So then you go back, terrified. Obviously, you've tortured your body in the meantime. You walk in, they get out the tape measure. They don't even really acknowledge your name or who you are. Or It's a very rude and intimidating 
situation to be in. And obviously when you're 15, 16 years old, you're still a child, you're still completely influenced by all these grown-ups who you look up to and you wanna make them believe in you. So then you do whatever it takes to try and lose this weight. And of course that evolved into having an eating disorder, which again was extremely common for lots of models back in the 90s. And so yeah, I became bulimic. And at the time I thought it was a genius idea, which just shows how naive and young I was, which then I realized, I think it was about two years that I battled with it for. And then, I mean, obviously my family were concerned they could see a change in me and and not just me as in like my mental health but also I looked awful obviously if you throw up twice a day three times a day it's going to show in your face in in your body in your soul and I did my skin was awful and my teeth were yellow because of all the acid that was coming up out of my mouth and I had like calluses on my knuckles because Mm -hmm. of the you know uh, it it was you know really really grim situation and my sister who I'm really close with was just like what's going on like what are you doing and so with the help of my family I got myself out of this and then I kind of questioned myself I was like who am I doing this for who am I losing weight for who am I trying to impress and I was like it's not me I'm not doing it for me I'm doing it for somebody else who doesn't respect me or my body and I'm really pleased that I saw that at such a young age I think by now I was about 18 and all my friends were going out to pubs, university, having a great time. And I was this girl who was miserable, throwing up food and trying to be somebody that I'm not. So I quit and I ended up working in an office and just grew some confidence and changed my life. And then I got bored in the office. I I think, you know, my boss left and I was an assistant, but I had no one to assist. So I would go into work and they hadn't replaced my boss. So I was literally there going, oh my God, I am so bored. So out of complete boredom, I just started thinking about modeling again. But at this point in time, so now we're going to 2001, an agency had opened that catered for women that were a size 12 and up. So you could be curvy. And I thought, well, that's more me. Like, oh, you know, I'll give it a go. And and honestly, I'm complete and utter boredom. I contacted this agency and I just said, well, hello, I'm here. And the rest is history, to be honest. I quit my job and I started shooting for brands that we all know and love all over the world, nearly every day for years. And it's been great. And the bizarre thing is I spent years trying to fit in and be somebody I'm not. And I was miserable. And then as soon as I realized I'm just going to be me, that was when I started to work and be happy. So just be yourself, everyone. Don't try and follow trends or fit in. Just be who you are. So then obviously... I got pregnant and at this point now I'm 31 and I've always known at this point I've been in the modeling industry for for many years and I've always known that fake bumps are used on pregnant models always known that it's just been a known fact and I thought to be honest I thought everybody knew that so when I was pregnant I knew that I would just stop working as soon as I started showing so you knew that so yeah no I knew that yeah and I just accepted it I was just like well yeah that's normal that's the way it goes and that's fine and I weirdly I just thought it was common knowledge and I wasn't on social media when I had my first and second baby it was it was in between my second and third that I really started to up my game because at that point it was very important to have it as a model and when I was pregnant with my third I posted a picture of my teeny tiny bump I think I must have been like 17 weeks or something saying well that's me I'm done I'm going on maternity leave because I can't do pregnant modeling because lots of brands use fake bumps foam bumps and the response 
completely overwhelmed me. I, I couldn't believe the amount of women who messaged me pregnant or not pregnant saying this is outrageous. I had no idea. Thank you so much because you're comparing yourself to these images. You want to look this perfect when you're pregnant. And of course, sometimes you don't. We all have different bumps. We all grow in different places. We're all beautiful. Every pregnant body is beautiful. And yet we're only looking at a certain type of body shape. And again, it's usually the size 8 to 10 girl with a very small, neat bump, no swelling anywhere, which I was swelling. I was, you know, everything was swelled up for me. And so I started a campaign to just have a disclaimer on the websites. So it's just a bit more transparent for the consumer. I just thought it was really important for there to be just some wording that says this model is wearing a bump. She is not actually pregnant. I mean, we have other disclaimers saying this model is five foot ten. She's wearing a size ten. We have that. Why don't we have it for you're wearing a fake bump or you're not? So I've managed to make that difference, that change, which was awesome. And then Absolutely obviously, amazing. I mean, I had nothing else to do. To be fair, I was on maternity leave for seventeen weeks. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know at all. Yeah, and it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. And the, and the more that I started talking about it and the more response I got from people, I realised, actually, yeah, this is bizarre. Like, why is this happening? And obviously, I've got loads of model friends who've been pregnant and they've gone through the same thing, lost their job, couldn't work. One of my friends did loads of maternity modelling with the fake bump. When she got pregnant, they fired her. <laughs> so they... I mean, it's just completely and utterly ironic. So there, you know, lots of brands reasoning is we don't want the model to feel tired on set. It's, you know, it's not good for health and safety. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm calling bullshit. Yeah. Because I've worked in studios with pregnant stylists, makeup artists, photographers who are heavily pregnant, working up to 38, 39 weeks and still working on their feet all day. So the whole like health and safety thing, that's not the issue. They just want the clothes to look great. So I'm pleased that I did that. And I mean, there are brands that do use real pregnant models. You know, there are some like mother care, unfortunately, which went under, but they always used real pregnant girls and there are brands that do but there are a lot that don't and to, to get that disclaimer on websites I'm really proud of because mm. if it can just help one person with their mental health because you know when you're pregnant you're so hormonal your body's changed there are some women that really have a hard time with being pregnant and if you're looking at these images online to buy yourself a nice dress you go oh this girl looks amazing I don't look anything like that I'm not going to buy it how come her bump is so perfect what's wrong with my bump you don't want to question yourself when you're pregnant because you're absolutely beautiful just the way you are so you said 31 with your first pregnancy how did yeah. you meet your partner and what was his view on all of this stuff at the time the fact that you would be taking time off etc so I met my husband through my brother it's a lovely story actually they went traveling separately they didn't know each other they went traveling around the world took a year out and this is before social media they bumped into each other in five different countries randomly and and I remember my brother like emailing home saying I bumped into Jesse again <laughs> and he was like I think there's something in this I think it means something and then when they came home after a year, I met Jesse and I was like, well, yep, that's the reason because I love this man. I'm, I meet him <laughs> in my life. So we've been together now for 12 years and obviously always been very supportive. Whenever we've decided to have children, I have said to him categorically, I will not be able to pay for anything. I will not have an income. Mm. And he's like, OK, well, you know, we'll just make it work. 
And we, asked, we have always made it work. He did help me with the campaign. He had some really good ideas. And it was actually his idea for me to start. Mama still got it in the first place. So yeah, he's great. I do take the piss out of him in my reels, but he's fine with it. And you know, it's real life, isn't it? So, you know, no I mean, one's perfect. So how did you manage that maternity leave then? Because obviously if you're freelancing or you're just employed by an agency and you don't have the perks of just being paid for however long or whatever, no. how did you decide to yourself, okay, this is how long I'm going to take off or this is what I'm going to do? Because it must have been quite a strange space to be in. It was really strange. I felt completely lost and it's not a good thing to feel when you're about to become a mother. Like I remember feeling like this is when I should feel really secure and grounded in my job and I didn't at all. So I actually started working at an agency, Milk Management, which is where I am now. They are very good with letting models work in the office every now and then just to get some money because they know that pregnant models don't necessarily work all the time. And so I worked in an office for a while and I really enjoyed it actually. It was really fun to kind of see the other side of the industry and it's really hard work being a booker. And then that became quite a full-time thing and that started to take over my actual modeling side of things like after I had the baby and then I had my second son and I had this light bulb moment in fact lots of things happen when I'm bored (laughs) (laughs) creativity Um, comes from boredom that's why that's so true so I was feeding my six-month-old baby feeling quite bored and a bit like blah to be honest and I got an email from my agent saying a shoot's come up in Italy do you want to do it? Great client, great photographer, great team. Sounded too good to be true, to be honest. She said, do you want to do it? Do you think you're ready for it? And it was the perfect email at the perfect time because I was feeling quite, yeah, just blah, just in this fog of motherhood and doing nothing for yourself and catching yourself in the mirror and being like, oh my God, who is that? And everything being about your children. And so this email was lovely to receive. And it was at that point where I said to my six-month-old son, well, I guess mum has still got it. And then this light bulb just went off. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm going to start a blog. And it's going to be called Mum has still got it. And it's going to be about looking after yourself, confidence, you know, laughter, making the most out of motherhood and just quite a positive spin on everything. And I bought the domain name straight away. Couldn't believe it was available, to be honest, and didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was a little bit embarrassed, actually, to kind of say to people, I'm going to start this. And I'm really pleased that I did, because now my whole blog idea has turned into a business and I'm loving it and just so happy that I can make a difference to other mothers out there that are going through that same feeling of fog and dreary and blah that we all go through. Motherhood is wonderful, but there are so many moments of this actually isn't that wonderful. And I just wanted to say that's that's all right, but you've still got it. Never lost it. I did feel slightly awkward posting some things and I did lose a lot of followers that were people that I actually knew, like old work colleagues or whatever. And I was a bit like, oh God, am I doing the wrong thing? And again, like Jesse was always very right, just keep going, just keep going, just just go, just keep going. And I did, and I'm really pleased that I did because yeah, it's now turned into something I'm really excited about. And a lot of blood, sweat of tears has got into make it happen and it, and it has done. And anyone out there who wants to start a business or have an idea, just go for it. Doesn't matter if you don't know what the hell you're doing, just do it because you never know where it could take you. Sorry to interrupt. Are you a woman on a career comeback journey? 
or a business looking to empower your female employees during their returnities? Well, let me introduce you to the Springback Guide, a revolutionary digital coaching product that's changing the game for women and businesses alike. Our Springback Guide is designed to help women go back to work feeling happy and confident. It's like having a personal coach right on your phone, guiding you every step of the way. Plus, now here's the real game changer, it costs just a fraction of the price of conventional coaching. No more time-consuming and expensive coaching sessions. With Springback Guide, we're putting the power in your hands, right where it belongs. We're not just changing the game, we're changing the way women and businesses consider returnity. So if you're looking to make your career come back with confidence, or if you're a business looking to empower your female workforce and want to find out more, visit us at springbackguide.com or follow us on Instagram at springbackguide and join the revolution today. Just rewinding slightly and going back to that, your first birth with Basil, how did you find that sort of changed your identity? My birth was actually incredible. I decided to have an independent midwife and I decided to give birth at home quite early on. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I went down the route of hypnobirthing and really practicing breathing and just having that one-to-one relationship with my midwife every week for like 40 weeks. I just had full trust in her. And I did give birth at home. It took four hours. It was extremely painful. Don't four get me hours. wrong. From start to finish. Four hours, yeah. yeah. So quick. I mean, I was just, I, I was just really, really relaxed. And there was so much in there. I was extremely relaxed. I was at home. Everything was dark and I had candles and relaxing music. And I had full trust in my midwife and Jessie was with me. And I was in a birthing pool and I just really focused on giving birth. I mean, I really did do the research. I revised, you know, it's like running a marathon. You have to train for it. And I did exactly that. And there were lots of people against it, like my parents and Jesse's parents were like, I think it's a bad idea. It's your first. You've got no idea what you're doing. And that actually made me want to do it even more. I was like, well, I'm going to prove you all wrong. And I did give birth at home in a birthing pool with no drugs, not even gas and air. I did ask for the gas and air, but the midwife left it in the car and she didn't <laughs> want to leave me. So... <laughs> So I did do it all by myself, which I am really proud of. And I just remember feeling like I did it. I've done it. And I remember holding my baby and being like, what the fuck do I do now? (laughs) I spent all this time thinking about giving birth. I didn't actually read up on anything about what you to do when the baby comes. I had absolutely no idea. And it was a bit overwhelming, actually. Like, this is my responsibility forever. Holy fuck. And... The midwife left us after she, she she did all the checks and did what she needed to do with the baby and me. And then she put me into bed with a cup of tea and she went, OK, bye. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Please stay, help me. Like, what the... And I gave birth at two o'clock in the morning and she left at about five in the morning, maybe even earlier than that. And so Jesse and I were just in bed with this baby, just completely in awe of what just happened, but also a bit like, don't know what we're doing which is I guess normal and I'll admit I didn't have that instant 
connection. I didn't have that instant bond that you always read about or like, I've never felt like this before. This love is the best I've ever, like I didn't have that straight away. And I didn't tell anyone at the time because I thought, oh my God, well, what does that say about me? And I don't think I got that instant connection until he was about three weeks old. And then something just triggered and I was like, Oh my God. Hi, there you are. I'm your mum and I'm here for the journey now. I think I it just, it was delayed and, and, and I know now that's completely normal. And at the same time that I gave birth, Beyonce gave birth to her first daughter, Blue Ivy. And I was reading everywhere quotes from her saying, this is love. This is something I've never felt before. And there was a part of me that was like, what's wrong with me? I don't have this immediate love bond thing. But it did come and it was there. Whereas with my second, that bond was there immediately. And same with my third. Maybe that, maybe it was the, my way of transitioning from being a woman into a mother. And it was just, my mind was just catching up with my body. But, you know, got there in the end, so... Yeah, you, you did. And I think what I find fascinating about this story is that home birth and independent midwives, hypnobirthing has exploded in the last mm. couple of years. But even then, I mean, me mentioning it to the older generation, etc., they're still a bit like, what? Like, <laughs> what is yeah, that? True. It sounds really weird and we don't get it. No, it's true. Yeah. Did you feel quite alone on that journey? And what inspired you to be like, no, actually, I think I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do it at home and I'm going to do it in this way. Because I think that's really interesting. Nine years ago, that's actually quite a long time ago. I was inspired by a good friend of mine. She had the same midwife. She gave birth before I was pregnant and she had a really great time. And I thought, well, that sounds great. And also I have a, or I did have a fear of being in a hospital. Mm. As a child, I was really accident prone. I was constantly in and out of hospitals and they just resembled illness and sick and bad stuff. So I thought I don't want to have that mindset. So I just decided quite early on, I want to give birth at home. Mm. I had heard of hypnobirthing, probably from my friend more than anything else. Because yeah, at the time I wasn't on any social media. I wasn't in any mum network thing. It was just word of mouth from other friends of mine that had given birth before me. And, and she had a great time with this midwife. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do the same then and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it is literally because of my fear of hospitals. Whereas that fear of hospitals vanished after I gave birth to my second, because I actually did end up going into hospital. Okay. Because I started hemorrhaging and they, they saved me. So now I'm very thankful for the NHS they literally saved my life. And so because of that, then with the third, I just went straight into hospital mm. with hypnobirthing. And that was also an amazing experience. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's all about where you feel safe. So, of course, that must have mm. changed for you with your second, because, of course, the home is the safe space. You had such a positive experience with Basil. Mm. And then, obviously, you're in this awful, out-of-control space where you're thinking, actually, I need medical help. Where mm. do you go? Obviously, you go to the hospital. But that sounds like it was terrifying to no, it was, it was, home. What it happened? Was, it was absolutely frightening. I was all set up to give birth at home with the, the same independent midwife. And I was two days overdue and Basil at the time was three. Mm -hmm. And I was lying on the sofa and he just jumped on my tummy. And I remember thinking, well, that can't be good. Uh... And then a few hours later, I thought my waters had broken. So I went to the loo, about to phone the midwife and say, time to come over. And it was just blood. I mean, it was like I'd been shot. The blood just didn't stop. And I'm talking clots falling out. Sorry to be graphic, but it was frightening. And my midwife, who's extremely calm and holistic and spiritual, I called her and I told her and she just went, call an ambulance immediately, which yeah. I was like, 
And then you know that shit's getting real. Yeah, like, she means business. Like, yeah, yeah, the shit's getting real. So the ambulance came. They were absolutely fantastic. And I was blue-lighted to the hospital. And then I was in a waiting room because there weren't many midwives there. By this point, it's now 10 o'clock at night. And I remember sitting in the waiting room and I was having really strong contractions and I was bleeding. And I was like, I need to be seen now. It's like, I'm really sorry, but, like... It's it's now. Hello. And then they were like, okay. And I, and actually there was one midwife that I don't think really believed me. Yeah, Because I think they, they probably get a lot of pregnant women going, ah, help like, me, help, help me. me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm more important than anyone else. And she was like, oh, fine, let's have a look, let's have a look. And she laid me on the table. And whilst I was on there, I had a contraction. And every time I had a contraction, I would just lose more and more blood. And then I remember seeing her face and she was like, okay, you're going now. And so they burst my waters to see if there was any meconium and, you know, the baby was fine because obviously I was worried about the baby. The baby so I assume they had fine. you on the CTG thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they burst my waters. And then as soon as that happened, I just went into full on contractions. And mm. the whole waters being broken to placenta being born, the entire thing was 45 minutes. It was absolutely awful. And I don't like saying horrible pregnancy stories because they might be pregnant. Oh, you're pregnant. You don't want to hear stories like this. But it's very rare. And they did say to me, after you've given birth, there's a possibility that you might bleed more. And if you do, we're going to have to get some extra help in. I mean, it was a completely different experience from my first labour. I mean, I was literally, it would have been a perfect episode of One Born Every Minute. I was reaming and just saying just cut me open and I was I don't even know who I was Mm -hmm. I was not myself but as soon as the baby came obviously you're like oh hello (laughs) (laughs) and everything's okay and the pain's gone I was really high on gas and air my god that stuff is amazing (laughs) and I was holding my baby and we were all laughing about how quick that was and the midwife who was with me on the NHS she was like that's the quickest delivery I've ever had she was like, that was unbelievable. And I was like, well, it wasn't actually, it was horrendous. But then I started hemorrhaging even more. So then lots of people came in, I don't know, like emergency buzzer pressed, everyone rushed in, baby was taken away. And I remember saying to somebody who was doing something down there, I don't know what they were doing, but I remember saying, just leave me alone. I've just given birth, just leave me alone. Mm. And they said, well, we're saving your life. And I was like, okay, continue. Okay, you can stay. <laughs> You're allowed. <laughs> Yeah. And because of that, I was very wary about having a third child because of that mm. experience. I, If it hadn't been for the NHS, if that had happened 100 years ago, I would have died. So obviously that kind of stays with you. So when I had my third, Inca, I did go down the whole hypnobirthing route. I really trained my mind and I went into hospital and I must say it was the most beautiful labour. I had headphones in the entire time listening mm. to positive affirmations over and over and over throughout my entire Labour. I mean, my poor husband, he was next to me and I was like, I'm not talking to you. I don't need you. They're not, they're not that helpful, are they? I think he started rubbing my back and I was like, don't touch me. And it was the most incredible birth. And I'm really pleased that I finished my motherhood on a high of birth stories because having a traumatic birth, it stays with you. Even talking to you about it now with my experience with Sunny, I can feel it. I'm feeling like I'm reliving it. But it's so scary and to think about what could have happened, you know, what could no. have been. I know, and I remember saying, like, is the baby okay? Is the baby okay? They're like, the baby's fine, we're worried about you. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Your husband must have been beside himself. Do you know what? I asked him about this and he was like, no, I was all right. I was like, <laughs> really? I love it. <laughs> You're rejoicing <laughs> me in pain? But he will never really show that he's upset to me 
because he doesn't want me to worry about him. But when all the drama died down and everyone was safe and I had to stay in hospital for a couple of days, he called a few people to say, to announce the baby has been born. And when he was on the phone to his brother, he just broke down. And I knew that was his way of being like, holy fuck, what the fuck just happened? And everything's okay. But he would never say that he's worried about anything because he doesn't want me to worry. So how did you then find those two postnatal periods just contrasting like Basil and Sunny then? Because obviously Basil, we had this amazing, beautiful home birth perfection, but then still the weirdness of like, oh my God, the fourth trimester, what the fuck am I doing? Even though my labour with Basil was great, the aftermath, like the, the fourth trimester was awful mm -hmm. and my labour with Sunny was awful, but the fourth trimester was wonderful. And this is because with Basil, because I gave birth at home and I had this midwife who, as I said, was extremely, almost anti-medical. So I I had a little tear and she didn't stitch me up. She just said it would just heal naturally. She gave me some herbs. She gave me certain things to put, you know, in my vulva and she was like, this will heal. It will take longer, but it will heal you. And obviously, again, first baby, none of my friends that I'm really close to had had babies, wasn't in a mum network, didn't talk to anyone about it. So I just assumed that it was normal to feel in constant pain in my vagina for months afterwards. Months. Every time that I sat down, months. And I couldn't hold in any urine. And I thought that was normal. So if I needed to go to the loo, I would literally be pissing myself. So the minute you had the urge, it would just... Happen. Yeah, it would just go. And the pain in my vagina was so raw and it lasted for months. And I remember saying to my midwife, I'm, I'm really, I'm really pain. And I was literally taking the strongest painkillers every four hours on the clock, every four hours, like the, the strongest painkillers that you can use to breastfeed because I was in so much pain thinking it was normal. And obviously you think how many times you're sitting down to breastfeed with your baby. You're sitting down a lot in the fourth trimester and it was just so, so painful that it put a huge cloud over my first experience of being a mother. Now, when I obviously had Sunny, being in hospital, they sewed me up afterwards. And I remember being in my hospital bed, obviously, because after my whole experience, I was lying in a bed for the next two days, all cords and wires and whatever, and a catheter. Mm. And they were ready to take everything off. And they were like, you can't leave the hospital until you've done a wee. And, and the whole, I was actually terrified of even just sitting up in bed or moving, because I was like, my vagina is going to kill me. And I had everything prepared. I had my really strong painkillers at the ready. I had everything at the ready to deal with this pain. And I remember nothing hurting. And I remember actually like bouncing up and down on my bed going, you know, or my bum going, I can't feel anything. And I went to the loo and I could use my pelvic floors when I was passing urine. I could actually hold it in and then release it. And for me, that was like, oh my God, there is no pain. My vagina feels normal. It was actually better than what it was after Basil. I was like, this is amazing. I feel like a born again virgin. This is amazing. <laughs> and so the fourth trimester with Sunny was unbelievable. I was so happy that I wasn't in any pain. And then with Inca, same, because I was in hospital, the same experience. There is part of me that thinks, had I known better, I would have asked my, my midwife at the time to have stitched me up. It would have made my experience a bit better. Did that affect your perception or relationship with her that she'd made that call or said? No, not at all. I thought yeah. it was normal. I mean, she was fantastic mm. and she really looked after me and, and she's been a midwife for like 30 years and maybe she didn't understand how bad I tore. I don't mm. know. But looking back, if I could have gone back, I would have probably taken myself to the hospital and just got a second opinion because I was in such pain and was sitting on rubber rings and it just wasn't enjoyable. And I think when you're in constant pain, also you're like, I've done this. I've had the pain in my vagina. Why is it still there?
don't know what's normal when you are a first-time mum and I think that's one of the biggest barriers isn't it for women who are having babies for the first time which is that it's very hard to advocate for yourself when you've never done something before yeah. you don't know how to speak up necessarily no. because if you've got somebody who's very knowledgeable like a midwife or a doctor or whatever saying you're fine this is normal chill out yeah. or and it yeah. makes you feel like oh yeah. okay maybe I'm being oversensitive or whatever it can be very yeah. difficult to sort of assert yourself and say no this doesn't feel right yeah and actually going back to being in that hospital with Sunny and this is why I'm really grateful because obviously with Sunny I had experience having a baby with Basil and this is something I'll never forget cause it's a bit haunting and I, I should have reported it to be honest but I was in the intensive care unit whatever it's called and by this point it's like two three in the morning Sunny is like a few hours old and obviously I've got as I said I've got all the leads in my body and whatever and I've got Sunny on me like skin on skin and breastfeeding's fine and so Jessie gone home to get some sleep and this night nurse or night staff came into the hospital came up to my bed and she said your baby's not breathing properly I need to take him away and obviously I can't move I'm stuck in the bed I can't do anything and I said to her I was like no my baby's fine and she was like no your baby's not breathing properly I need to take him away and get some checks and I just went no my baby is fine he's pink he's crying he's drinking milk he's fine and then she was like okay well don't say I didn't warn you and then walked off and I phoned Jess, I was like, you need to come back now. I'm freaking out. They're going to take my yeah. baby away from me. Like this, I don't know what's happening. And I'm pleased that I had the knowledge to know that my baby was okay. Had that been my first child... You would have just given him... I would have been like, okay, okay yeah. I'll go, take, take the baby. And then I'm stuck in a bed at two, three in the morning, alone, can't move, wondering where the hell my baby's gone. I mean, that would mess with your mental health. Yeah, massively. So I'm pleased that I had that experience. And I know any mothers that are new to motherhood, you know, just ask or people that have been through stuff before and always ask or speak up because there's no right or wrong to any parenting. There's, there is no manual. It's literally all about experience and asking other people that have been through it all. It's a, a journey. It is a journey. And I think it's a funny one because as we were talking about earlier with like just that difficulty of advocating for yourself in the beginning, when you've got medical professionals or it's the first time that you're doing something, it can be really difficult to speak up, but also to trust your instincts in the same way that you would yeah. normally. And definitely. There's like an acronym for anybody who's listening that's like to use your brains, which I'm sure that you would have heard of maybe via your mm -hmm. hypnobirthing, which is every time somebody says something to you, just thinking about what are the benefits of this? What are the risks? What are the mm. alternatives? What does my instinct tell me? What happens if we do nothing? Mm. And then what does the science say? And it's just a really quick and easy way, almost just like a checklist. And they're all mm. just people. And mm. that's why people go and get second opinions, because one midwife says something or one nurse says something. It just doesn't make it right. Yeah. And I think as mums, our instinct is right more often than we think, even if your Definitely. baby's only a few hours old. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, yeah, mum knows best. You have that. You've built a person inside you. you you're you have more bond with that child more than anyone else. You do know best, mm. definitely, 100%. And that's why I knew lying in there at that bed with Sonny on me and, and I was like, he's absolutely fine. I was like, he's absolutely fine. You're not taking him away from me whilst I'm in this state. That's amazing, though, that after your experience as well, just to be like, no, actually. So it must mm. have been something in the way that she presented it that had just really got your guard up because mm. that's, you know, if she'd, I don't know, maybe presented it differently, but it sounds like she was just sort of trying to take him off you. Yeah, 
Yeah. I know. It's frightening. I mean, obviously, your mind spirals and, you know, you think, oh, you know, but it's just, I just worry if that same woman went up to any other mother in a very vulnerable state saying the same thing and saying to a mother that doesn't have any other experience with a baby that she would have been like, okay, here, take my baby. And then you don't know where, where the baby's gone. And at the time, it was like two, three in the morning. Jesse wasn't there. It was really dark and quiet in the hospital. I was like, this isn't right. Like, you can't just come. You Like, no, bugger mm. off. So I'm pleased that I told her <laughs> to off. leave me alone, as she did. So obviously you've got three beautiful children and Mama Still Got It as a blog is still going. You've got all these reels that are cracking people up and obviously really helping and enhancing your career what are the main ways that you think that motherhood has really changed your professional identity oh gosh I mean being a mother obviously changes a lot of things in certain ways it's worked for the better because it's opened more doors for me now I mean uh, to be honest but before I came a mother I mean I'm talking like in my 20s when being a mother wasn't even on my radar I used to have this thinking that as soon as you became a mother your life was over like that was it like I used to see pregnant women on the street and go why would you do that your life is now over and I always had that thought and obviously because I wasn't ready to have children myself and I was never really a maternal person and then it wasn't until I became a mother that I realised actually that's not true at all. Just because you are a mother doesn't mean that the world has to stop. If anything, you can grow from it. I think I've actually become a stronger person since becoming a mother. My work hasn't been my number one priority. My children have, and I quite like that. I was so engrossed in work that it's actually quite nice to know that's not as important now. I mean, I just want to be there. Trying to get the balance is obviously difficult. You want to be there to get your kids from the school gates and work and you're trying to do it all. And I think that's the tough thing, trying to get the balance of everything. And I do try and clock off from being at work when I'm with the kids and vice versa. And that's why homeschooling was so hard because you're trying to do two jobs at once. And it's just, I, I really hope that's the end of homeschooling because it was just too hard. And I'm in a profession where I, you know, I couldn't get furloughed and I had to still work and, and be a teacher and my God, and have a baby. Mm. It was not fun. <laughs> no, but it sounds like made you so much stronger as it does to so many women. And I mean, I know that everybody who's listening to this will have probably already checked out Louis page and all of her stuff by now but if anybody wants to find you on instagram what's your handle just for everybody listening it's mama still got it with an underscore and it's just ma still got it and then an underscore come and come and find me let's be friends Louise, it's been like an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for persisting with our thousands of technical difficulties. I know. I've kept her for far too long, so I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you so much for having me. You made it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Returnity. We hope you found the discussion inspiring and informative. Returnity is about celebrating and supporting women on their back-to-work journeys. And speaking of support don't forget about the Springback Guide. It's the innovative and cost-effective solution for women and businesses alike. Empower yourself or your female workforce with confidence and success on the road to fraternity. To learn more about the Springback Guide and how it's changing the way we approach women's return to work, visit springbackguide.com. See you next week.